Allow me to bid you welcome in the Lord's name to the adult Bible class this morning. Welcome to those joining us online and seeing the weather. There may be more than usual. You're very welcome in the Lord's name. Let us open up this, this time in prayer, seeking the Lord's help and blessing. Our merciful and loving God and Father, in the name of thy Son, we approach thee and we thank thee that we have this approach uh, this access this and this boldness that we may have to approach thy throne thou glorious and eternal king of all things thou eternal and infinite god infinite in thy goodness and thy wisdom and thy mercies and lord we come to thee on gospel ground and we thank thee that we have this freedom to call upon thee to cast all our cares to seek thy help and we seek thy help now lord as thy word is opened as we continue our examination lord of thy commandments and we pray O lord to give utterance unto me and to give that hearing to those that hear that lord that it be not just hearing but doing also that we would have and receive from thee grace to apply the word of god into our lives lord give that help we need thee i need thee we pray thee in his name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open uh, your Bibles to Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, and we'll read the first two verses, then move down to verse... 13. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. In verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Amen. Amen. Will we... We are coming today to the following commandment, having completed the fifth commandment, now onto the sixth commandment, uh, which is questions, uh, well, what we're examining today, questions 67 and uh, 68. Uh, there is another one next week, God willing, 69. Now, question 67 it poses this question, which is the sixth commandment? And the answer is, the sixth commandment is, thou shalt not kill. And then question 68, uh, again, has the pattern that we are uh, becoming familiar with, uh, questions, what is required in the sixth commandment? And the answer given is, the sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. 
It is very interesting to note as we were um, rounding off our examination of the fifth commandment uh, last time that the commandment uh, honour thy father and mother inc includes that promise as we considered and that promise includes um, uh, two aspects that there would be a prolonged life and that there would be a prosperous life, a gift and a blessing from God to all those who, who honoured their parents who honoured those in authority. And now the theme of the maintenance of life, having had the promise of life, now we come to the maintenance of life, is at the very heart of the sixth commandment. It's at the very heart of it. And it is an expression of loving our neighbour. Uh, in loving our neighbour, we're to ensure that we love him as we love ourselves, and inasmuch that we are to endeavour to preserve our own lives, uh, we are also to endeavour uh, to preserve his or her life. And it is where such love fails, and it is often weak, but where it absolutely fails, and we come to the other extreme from love, we come to hate and hatred. Uh, and the fullest expression of hatred then, when it, and it, when it, it, uh, it fulfills its, its, its ultimate end, hatred, is murder, is to, is to shed the blood of that person who is hated. That's the fullest extent. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ, he links the two, hatred and murder, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Ye have heard it, that it was said by them <coughs> of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. <coughs> but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Uh, that doctrine the, um, the Apostle John takes up in his first epistle and even applies it to Christians. He says in 1 John 3 and verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in them. Now there is a depth to those verses that we could look at with the Lord's help, but we are limited to those statements in the, in the shorter catechism and answers, questions and answers 67 and 68 this morning. But what that, um, what that verse of uh, 1 John 3.15 makes very clear, very, very clear, is that even believers struggle with this with, with hatred in the heart and in the mind. And the Lord says, well, that's, that's, that's a spiritual murder. That's a murder of the heart. And therefore, it's good that we be taught on these matters. So with the Lord's gracious help, let us consider from the fifth commandment these two questions which really point to uh, this one thing, which is the title, and that is the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of human life, not just generally the sanctity of life. But nowadays with the uh, obsessive uh, ideas of, of animals and animal life, and th these are the fruits of the false doctrines of evolution. Now we're not talking about life in general, we're talking about human life. And we understand then, firstly, just two points as we work our way uh, through these, um, these questions and answers, that life is God's gift. Life is God's gift. And these are more general teachings from the Scriptures as opposed to 
uh, bringing out from that question and answer, which we'll do more so in the second point. But God is the author of life, firstly. God is the author of life. He's the source of all life. And Christ reveals this in John 5 and 26, and we could point to many places. We could go and examine the creation account, understanding that. But the Lord Jesus, he says this, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. <clears throat> now God, in general, has life in himself because God is life. God is the very source of life. God is the infinite, the everlasting life. It is, it is within him. <clears throat> All life comes from him, is created by him. There is nothing made that he has not made. And so we understand that he is the, the source of all life and the author of all life. And concerning the death of man, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 says this, regarding both the soul and, uh, and the, the body of man, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So we see the spirit of, 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 of mankind is returning to uh, God. Uh, literally, that word spirit there is not the word that we would use for soul. It's, it's the word that we would use for, it would be used for the, the Holy Spirit. But anyway, the spiritual side of man shall return unto God who gave it. And so we see there that God gives, he creates the body, but he gives the soul also. And so we understand from those verses and, and from many others in the scriptures that we just do not have the time to open up, that God is the giver of Life. He gives life, as we just read, uh, and the Spirit shall return unto God who, who gave it. And that's why we read from Psalm 139. Well, what do we read and understand in Psalm 139? Uh, that, that, that every single human life, without exception, is God's personal handiwork. Uh, the, the, the phrasing that the Lord uh, has uh, David uh, write of, it, it speaks of, of, of the, the personal work of God in the formation of your life and my life and, and everybody's life. Uh, my substance was not hid from thee when I was in. Of course it wasn't hid from him because the Lord was there. The Lord was there uh, doing that work. It's no, not some abstract clockwork. It's not some clockwork that the Lord set in motion, not a, a, a genetic machine, and the Lord just turned it on with Adam and then and, and walked away, which is a very much an idea of, of the deists, but it is unbiblical. Now the Lord is actively there. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in, my, and in thy book all my members were written. And so we understand as we were to read uh, these matters that it is God who is the maker, the giver of life, the creator of all our substance and all our being. And being the giver of life, he has an authority also to take life. God is the taker uh, of life. And because he has that right, and he has that privilege as the creator of all things, uh, to take away life. And he is righteous in all his ways and works. So when the Lord takes away life, although it may be a loved one of us that we would then miss, that it would cause us pain, he has done us no wrong. He has done no wrong. And that's what Job openly and, and, and truly declares in Job chapter 1, a very, very famous, a very deep profound verse he says Job 121 and said naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away blessed 
be the name of the Lord. And because he has that absolute and ultimate uh, position as the giver and the taker of life, each life is God's own personal possession to do with as he pleases, and all that pleases God is good and just. And so life belongs to God. All life belongs to God, especially human life belongs to God. And because it belongs to God, it has great value that the infinite, eternal God possesses that life, has created that life. He has, the, he has that, that, that right and that privilege. He is the owner. And because he is of great worth, that, that is worth then given to that life as the handiwork. If we consider um, a, a famous uh, and talented artist, so say a Rembrandt, what he produces is of great value. It has his signature on it. It has the, it has the characteristics of, his, of his, his greatness and his glory in, in, in that piece of canvas. How much more then the value of every single human life, even lives that we would not maybe hold in high regard, but we should because God is their creator. But how much more should we understand that he is the creator and everything that comes forth from his hand is, is of great worth because God is the author of life. But secondly, the great value that every life has, every human life has, is because all men are made in God's image. It's not only the work of his fingers, but, but, but man is made in the image of God, not the physical image. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Genesis 1.27 is the first time that we meet this truth in the scriptures. It, it comes uh, back again. Uh, a number of times. But Genesis 1 and 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And it is because the image of God is impressed upon human beings and only upon human beings. Not upon uh, other creatures at all. Um, not upon... Uh, creation in a, in, in a very personal way. Yes, yes, we, we understand from um, Romans 1 that, that the creation speaks something of God's uh, Godhead and of his power. But the personal image of God is impressed upon human beings only. And in the created order then, being exceptional and having the stamp of God himself upon human life means that human life is elevated far above all other life that has been made. We may, we, we may look at animals, we may look at the, uh, the, the splendor and the majesty of a horse, we may look at the, 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 the intelligence and the, uh, and the, um, the quickness of, of, a, of a dolphin, quickness in, in thought, and they seem to be very uh, intelligent creatures, and we can look at dogs and, uh, and, and see aspects of, 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 of pleasing um, loyalty and even depending on the breed, of course, of, of intelligence as well. But, but it is only human beings that have the stamp of God upon them. Yes, we know in the fall that the image of God has been terribly marred, and yet there is still something there. If we have a wax seal and the, and the ring has been impressed in the seal and then the seal has been in the sun, yes, it, the image is no longer there. The, the wax has sort of melted back over to some degree, but there are still some remnants of that stamp, of, of that signet seal to be seen in, in the wax. And in some ways that is very much uh, like man in, in generally, generally spoken. But what are those aspects of the image of God? 
Just very, very, very briefly, we, we, we'll know this from when we've examined it before, as we have done. But it is, it is a, a righteous image in, 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 these, in this way that there is holiness was given to man. He's fallen from that holiness. But he had uh, what we call con-created con holiness, that when Adam was created, he was created with holiness. It was part of who he was. It was part of his character. It was part of his soul. It was certainly part of his flesh. But he had no old man of the flesh. He had a new man of God's holy creation, and that's who he was in, in, in his sinless state, in his original state. Holiness, an expression of that holiness, would be his righteousness. But those two are separately mentioned, um, especially when we come to um, Ephesians, where Ephesians speaks of it. Holiness and righteousness, but also with a holy knowledge and understanding, because to be righteous and to live holy, there needed to be a, a knowledge, a righteous knowledge, for that is the wisdom, the understanding that Adam had to live that holy and righteous life, and also the knowledge he had of something of God and something of the world around him. But we're not going to go into the depths of that now. But there was, therefore, a righteous image of God. There was a regal image of God because he was uh, given dominion over the creatures. And, and that is still, uh, that's imperfect. We see that the creatures have turned around. We know that uh, after the flood that uh, the Lord in his covenant with Noah made it very clear that, that animals would now be turning back had the, and, and attacking man. And if that was the case, that animal was to be put down. Was that maybe even the case before the flood? Uh, the flood? That, that's very possible. The earth was filled with violence and unrighteousness. But there was still a dominion over the creatures to have that rule, again, the image of God, a God who rules, God who is a king, and, and, and a man gets something of that image in himself to have dominion over the creatures. We know, of course, that, that man in his sinful state takes that dominion and turns it into tyranny, tyranny over the creatures, tyranny over each other. But that is not the image of God, if anything, that's the image of the devil. So it's a righteous image, it's a regal, regal image, and thirdly and finally, it's a relational image. Uh, that is the ability to love and to form deep relationships. Within that relationships, there is communication. There is communication of emotions. There is communication of, of ideas and thoughts and wishes and, and the like. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, full, a full relationship between two sentient and conscience, conscious beings. As much as we may receive affection from animals and can give, affection to animals and that can be uh, very uh, very deep and 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 fulfilling it in certain ways we know that the presence of animals in hospitals even is is a great way to help those who have um who have been in hospital for a long time and then they bring a, a dog in uh, and there are schemes like that there's certainly in the uk uh, that, that a dog will be brought in and or in even into into nursing homes and specifically nursing homes for the those suffering from dementia that just the presence of, of, of a dog just, just stimulates something inside the human mind and, and the heart, and there's an affection that goes, f uh, that is exchanged between the, the dog and, and, and the patient, as it were. But it's never the same, of course, it's never the same uh, as that relationship between one human being and, and another, uh, most profoundly seen in the marriage between man and woman, because God. It is relationship. We understand Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that in eternal, uh, loving, and ever-blessed relationship between the three persons of the one Godhead, 
And again, that's been, that's been put into man for how else could we have a relationship with God? The ultimate, I said marriage was, was the greatest, but the ultimate relationship is between creature and creator. And, and, and there too are we also created. And to have that full uh, and blessed relationship. So the image of God is put upon us. And, and because it's put upon us, it's put upon our fellow man, which means, uh, in, which gives them the value. So God has created them, but God has created them w- with his image in them. Yes, marred by sin, but the remnants are still there. And that's still, and because it is God's image, it, even though it has been marred, it is of great value. But how much more then for the Christian in whom the image of God, the image of Christ, is being remade? It is being remade so we could say that uh, all human beings have the marred image of God, but in and through the gospel and through the work of Christ, that the image of God, the image of Christ is being remade. And so that should remind us, not only in our general um, relationships in the world, but especially with Christians, especially with Christians, how we are to treat them, to talk to them, and to talk about them. As James teaches us in James 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And so we have the, the general truth, the similitude, the image of God. Uh, but here we have James writing to Christians. So God is the author of life. All men are made in his image. And then we bring those two together then, as I've already been pointing to, the innate value of human life. These two points. So God, the infinite, glorious God as our creator, and every man made in God's image, in that very image, It is those two, in very general terms, then determine the supreme value of human life. It has a supreme value. Supreme value of the value of every life, but specifically the supreme value of human life. Hence why the Lord says in the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not remove the life that I have given. Every person in their right mind understands the value of their own life. But being sinners and being selfish, uh, wanting to preserve our own life, does not mean that we therefore have the understanding of someone else's, the value of someone else's life. But that value of life, everybody does understand. And even the devil had to admit it to God in Job chapter 2, verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And so in general terms, that's very true, that people will do their utmost where they are in a, in a normal a men- mental and emotional state, so we're not talking about the suicidal, uh, but those in general will do all they can to preserve their lives. We see the uh, uh, people with very little, the homeless, for example, will do, their, will do their best to keep themselves warm. They will even break into a, a building, will break the law to find somewhere warm, especially in uh, these wintry days and then search for food, even going into, even going into the refuse uh, to find food, something that we would not uh, gladly do. But they are brought to, the, to, to that point that their life must be maintained every single day. And they would do these things. All that a man hath will he give 
for his life. And there's more to be said about that verse, but we'll leave it because it proves the point enough that life is God's gift. Life is God's gift. And secondly, that brings us, having seen the doctrine of life being God's gift, it brings us then to the question and answer. Oh, the need for the commandment, thou shalt not kill, because it's not our life to take, whether it's somebody else's life or our own life, it is not our life to take, and therefore God says thou shalt not kill. And we could expand upon that. Thou shalt not kill that which I have given life to. Thou shalt not kill that which I have determined will live. It's for God, as we shall see. Oh, we have already seen it is for God to take away that life, being the author of life. But life is God's gift, that's the doctrine. And then we have the duty. Man's duty is to preserve it, is to maintain it, is to keep it. So then we come to the question and answer. Um, and the first question there, question 67 which is the sixth commandment, the sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. So we come to firstly, considering man's duty to preserve life is, is what the law itself says. What the law itself says to us, thou shalt not kill. Now the word kill is a very broad word in the Hebrew and it points to slaying, to, to actual murder, uh, to manslaughter, to the striking down of someone to the taking of somebody's life. Now, there are modern translations that have, for various reasons, uh, they translated not as thou shalt not kill, but thou shalt not murder. But murder is quite a technical legal term. And murder is, not, is, is, too, is too narrow for the broadness of this Hebrew word. And therefore, that word and that command says thou shalt not kill is thou shalt not take life. Thou shalt not take a life either by manslaughter or by murder, whether by accident, through negligence, or on purpose, it is not for you to take somebody's life. And this is, of course, a personal understanding. This does not take away, and we may be looking at it next time, this is not to take away the right of the, of the government uh, to judge and to condemn to death. This does not take away the death penalty at all. By any means, it does not contradict it. In fact, it, it would promote it. Uh, thou shalt not kill, and by the taking of life, you have, avo you have voided your right uh, to life. But let's not go to too much depth in that today. But that's what the law itself is saying. Essentially, thou shalt not take life on, a, on that personal level. So in, in, uh, not only in the government, but also in a state of war. Um, but we'll come to those lawful endeavors uh, next. So the law itself, then the lawful endeavors that this... That this Answer 68 speaks of, the sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And that's put on the same level there. It's uh, we're to preserve our own life and, and the life of others. And so we see that the lawful endeavors would include the right to self-defense, as I've already just pointed to or hinted at. And is the, and is the larger catechism, that would be question 135, that, that, that fills out more of uh, this thought the, of the shorter catechism. And what question 135 of the larger catechism says that we're to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, so there's a bit like hate and, and hateful fantasies, subduing all passions and avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. 
that would include uh, yourself. And so when we're considering the right of self-defense, um, we have to understand what the Bible says on these matters. The, the Bible teaches us to have a peaceable or a peaceful existence with our neighbor, with our fellow man. But nowhere does the Bible teach pacifism. Nowhere is, is, is the soldier rebuked for being a soldier. Nowhere is the defending of, of, of home and family and country uh, ever, ever decried. In fact, it's shown by example and is taught by necessary uh, understanding and example of what the, is in the Scriptures. So pacifism is, a, is something that the Anabaptists, and we see that today in the, in the Mennonites and the, and, and the Hutterites and the Amish, to a great degree, a, an unbiblical pacifism. But then Christianity can go to the other extreme in reaction to pacifism and, and become quite aggressive. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches either, but, but there is to be a peacefulness with all men. Uh, but we have the right and the duty to protect that which God has granted us, and especially life, our own life and other lives. So when one is attacked, there is a moral duty, I would say. There's a moral duty to flee that danger. There's a moral duty to use wisdom and not come into that danger in the, fir in the first place, but coming into that danger is to, uh, if you're unable to flee from it, even, to, even then you must fight. You must fight to protect your own life. And you must, and you must right, and you must take that right to protect lives of your loved ones, but also others on the street, where you see a party, an innocent party, being attacked uh, in some way to to stop. Of course, you don't know the details when you when you come across a situation. Uh, you might be protecting a, a person who was the original attacker, but there is a moral duty. So we have the right to self-defence because of the value of our life because God uh, gives us this life and that's part of our lawful endeavors to maintain this commandment, but also the right to work. And this is a very broad uh, understanding, but in order to provide for the needs of the body to sustain the life for food, clothing, and shelter and all those things that are necessary for life, then we, when, then we need to work. We need to work to sustain that life. And so the fifth commandment, uh, sorry, the sixth commandment, therefore, is a very important commandment to understand uh, the background to the Protestant work ethic that we are to work and we are to sustain our lives and the lives of our families and we understand that we are to help others that, who are in need, uh, hence the establishment in Act 6 of the Diaconate. And connected with this, is the need for moderation in the use of these things. So we can go and we can work and we can get paid, but then we're not to then risk our life even further, making use of the, the money from the work, because there is a demand in the Scriptures uh, in many places that the need for moderation, the need for, the need for soberness when it comes to the maintenance of the body. So we say we need food and drink, yes, but too much food and too much drink itself is a detriment to a healthy life. And, and so we must have that, and we must have modesty in expenditure, modesty in clothing, and modesty in shelter, not going uh, beyond that which is needed. I mean, not just the bare basics of life. We're not all going to live on bread and water for the rest of our lives. No, we, we may enjoy that which God has given us, uh, but we must maintain the body as much as we are able, that we're not guilty of 
killing ourselves, and this is something very terrible and demonic where we have people who would uh, damage their body. I'm not talking about just about dangerous sports, but dangerous sports would be contrary to the sixth commandment, uh, but also those that would damage their body in whichever way, in, uh, with food fads, uh, even those who have taken it so far that they would have a medical condition like, like bulimia or anorexia. And there's something very, uh, very, very dangerous, something very dark about those situations. As much as those people uh, are, are need to be cared for and maybe, maybe and often are the victim of other people. And yet we are to maintain our bodies. It would also suggest that we do need to do a modicum of exercise to keep a healthy body. And I know it says that physical exercise profiteth little, but that little doesn't mean a small matter. It means for a short time. So you can do some exercises, and, and it's good for you, but if you don't maintain those exercises, it will not do you long-term good. But spiritual exercises, coming under the means of grace and applying that word in your life and, uh, and being attentive to, to take that word home and, uh, and do that word, the Lord says, well, that, that profiteth greatly. That, that profiteth a long time, eternal profit for the born-again soul. The right to work and then the right to evangelize even because the care for the physical life is very important but is in many ways secondary for the care to the, to the spiritual life. The, the spiritual life also needs looking out after. The souls uh, need, to, uh, need to have the care of the gospel, and they need to prepare, be preserved, not just as the body from, from temporal death, but the soul needs to be protected from eternal death. And so, therefore, we understand that the care for your own soul, your own personal soul, is a careful avoiding of all sin. As much as we're uh, able to avoid sin, and we are to avoid it by God's grace and not in a pharisaical manner, but we are to avoid it, we are to flee it because of the consequences of sin in our own life towards our own soul and even to the body. Proverbs 11 and 19 says, As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. And so there, righteousness is demanded in the maintenance of this uh, commandments. Righteousness, of course, is an expression of faith. It's linked to faith. By faith, uh, we are righteous in God's sight. So faith is there promoted. And also a diligent means of the, a diligent use of the means of grace is important for the soul. Uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 speaks about that diligent use of the means of grace. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So we've seen the law itself, thou shalt not kill and that broadness of that term, the lawful endeavors that we are to undertake to preserve, promote our life and the life of others. But thirdly, and this is very, very related to, uh, with overlap to the second point, is our need to preserve life. Our need to preserve life. And so into the necessity, that means, the necessity of preserving life is where we recognize that there is a higher authority. This is sort of summing up a lot of what we've been considering. We have to recognize that there is a higher authority, 
over our body and over our soul, over our actions, over our complete lives, and, and not only over our life, but over everybody's life. The man that works in Tim Hortons, the lady that cleans the church next door, over absolutely every single life, uh, we must recognize that there is a high authority over that life, and it is not for our, our, us to take that life unlawfully. It's not for us to to decry that life, to undermine that life, to diminish that life, and we're bringing other matters of the Ten Commandments in there, that that life has a sanctity because the higher authority, that is God, has created it and is preserving it. So we recognize that there is a higher authority, and therefore we are to respect the lives of others in all that we do, the physical life, the emotional life, uh, the, the, the soulical life, the life of the soul in others, it is to be respected. And so if society was un to undertake to uh, listen to and obey the sixth commandment, and if it was recognized that it was a higher authority, that we're not just some form of, of, of evolved monkey with a life as worthless as, as an animal, which is, of course is what we do have, and to understand that we're to respect the life of all others, not just those that vote with your political party or those who have the same religion as you or whatever it might be. Because if you were to then respect other people's life, if, if, if someone in society would then respect uh, the sanctity of someone else's life, then that, that would then feed back onto them, that, they would, that other people would respect their life and and this is the, the greater outworking of the Ten Commandments in a culture. And the Ten Commandments have had a greater outworking in various cultures uh, of old Christian nations in the past, although that's being uh, very undermined uh, at the moment. But if that was to have its outworking, then people would understand that there is to be a, a, a respect for the life of others. And that would ultimately temper our own characters. And this is the point of the fifth commandment, and especially, sorry, the sixth commandment, and especially as it's taught to Christians, is that we are to temper our own characters, that we are to be the opposite of what we do find in our flesh, that, that hate and that murder, the murderous thoughts, the murderous ideas, the hatefulness, said the Lord, links those two together. And, and so that we go to the opposite of that. And, and then when we come to the fruit of the Spirit, that's exactly what we see is the exact opposite of those matters. So we're considering uh, love and goodness and kindness and care that goes forth. And as that goes forth, uh, it was, it's expressed in food and sleep and care. Uh, but it would temper our own characters and our own souls to be the exact opposite of that which we do find in the sinful uh, nature that we carry on uh, with us. Because if we don't temper it, it has a negative outworking. We just saw that in Proverbs. He that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. But the Lord Jesus Christ uh, taught us that when he rebuked Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Matthew 26 and 52, and Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Yeah, the ultimate end for the murderer and for, uh, for those who are violent will be their own violent and murder. But also those that are hateful, those who are hateful, uh, those who are unkind, 
and those who have a murderous thoughts and ideas. Again, everything that is the deeper spiritual level to thou shalt not kill. Again, the Lord is saying it will have its own outworking. It will have its own outworking. So the murderous, the violent, the angry will receive murder, anger, and violent thoughts from others or even things in their own lives. Coming down to it then, thou shalt not kill. It must be said because murder is a scourge upon society and any society that's filled with violence and where violence rules the streets is not a safe society and much godlessness is exhibited by that murder. And so therefore we as Christians who are made in the image of God, although that image is marred, but by the rebirth that we have that that image of Christ to be remade within us, therefore we have a greater duty to maintain this commandment, to preserve life, to develop those Christian virtues and those Christian graces. So those things that we've considered already that we see in the world, murder, even murder with the tongue, even murder with the thoughts, hate, uh, enmity, divisions, heresies, all these matters that are spoken of in the, in, in the scriptures that are of the flesh and God rebukes us for having and commands us not to have, if we are then to go to the other extreme and have that love and compassion and meekness and gentleness and kindness, what a, what a, what a, what a glorious antidote that would be. And what a difference would then be in the church. And not that when people would come into the church, and they may not see it on the first instance, but then they see rivalries, they see, they see divisions, they see, they see hatreds, and they come in and they think, well, it's just like the world, it's just like work, it's just like my family. What is the difference? But if we are to bear such a love to mankind in general, and more especially to the household of God, what a, what a glorious truth that is. Uh, and, and therefore, love is more perfectly formed within us because love casts out all fear and you may say well fear is not hatred or murder yes it is fear is very much the the, the food it is the fuel uh, for hatred uh, people fear and therefore they hate uh, 1 john 4 and verse 18 as we come to close says this there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And we, we must be very careful about that. Fear of all sorts of things. Fears for things. And, and we fear because we do not trust the Lord. We do not trust the Lord to do that which he said he will do when we pray to him. So unbelief in the prayers to God means that we will undertake things out of the flesh to try to solve the problem that we think God is not hurrying up to solve. But if we just cast it, Onto, into, onto, his, onto his lap, as it were, as we, we pray unto him and, and leave it up to him, and then we don't need to have that fear. Uh, God has taken it on board, and God will deal with it in his perfect way and in his perfect timing, and that, that removes the fear, or at least it removes the need for fear and hatred and division, and it enables us to love there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so let that sixth commandment encourage us uh, not to kill, but to love instead. And we can only do that with the Lord's uh, gracious help, of course.
So which is the sixth commandment? Question 67, the answer is that the sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. And in question 68, what is required in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Now there is of course much more to be examined in the fifth commandment. And so I hope in the following question and answer, um, 69, uh, that a lot more of those will be answered that have not been touched upon this morning. Are there any questions relevant to uh, this question, these two questions at all? If not, we will close in prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, Thou who art the giver of our lives, and in the gospel the giver of a new life, and Lord, Thy desire, O Lord, that our souls would be restored, and that the image of Christ O oh Lord, would repair and replace, as it were, the, the marred image of God by the fall and by our own sin. And so, Lord, impress upon us that this command is not just for the murderous gangster out on the streets, but it has a relevant application for our own Christian walk. Lord, that we would not be filled with fear and with hatred, but we would cast all our cares upon Thee, that we would be made, made perfect in love. Lord, give us that help, we pray. And help us as we come to Thee in, in the public worship very shortly. We pray Thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.